Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, joined as always by my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are so glad that you're here. If you're new, don't let the name of the show fool you. We are very Christian. This show is very Christian, but it's more the world that we live in, and especially this nation that is increasingly secular, becoming a very religionless place, you could say. So that, at least in part, is where the name of the show comes from. But uh, how can we live a life that's pleasing to God in a religionless world? That's what we're going to try to help you with today by looking at some stories from the news, some videos, uh, and all the sort of stuff that we normally look at. But uh, yeah, so for today on the show, we're going to be discussing um, Mark Driscoll and conversations that Christians need to stop having. Uh, We're also going to discuss the scam of biblical manhood and a look, of course, at the ponderings of Reddit Christianity. We got a lot to get to. I think it's a good show, some important topics to discuss. Uh, But before we get to all of it, is there anything you'd like to say? Prayer requests, praise reports, anything of that sort? Uh, Just thankful to God that my brother is healing up well after his surgery. Um, For those of you who don't know, he had a a surgery. He had a tumor on his pancreas, and so he had a very major surgery. but yeah, he's healing up well. He's in good spirits, uh, drawing closer to the Lord through all this. Good. So I praise God for that. And just continued prayers for his healing and continued prayers for our safety as our boys are learning to drive here in Albuquerque. And yeah, just appreciate the prayers. <laughs> Absolutely. Please pray for us. Um, pray for Nikki as well. We're recording this episode very early. She's a trooper. Stick it out with me. Um, so if we're drinking our coffee, trying to wake up here, stick around to the end. It's probably going to be super good when we're wide awake. Um, <laughs> but I will just uh, offer up a praise report. So this week, I just got to finish my very first Simeon Trust workshop. Uh, and Simeon Trust workshops are basically three-day sort of expository preaching workshops. They're sort of intensive workshops. They're, boy, what were they, about nine hours for three days straight, um, sitting under instruction. And then the the good part of it was, you know, they give each person there, and there was about 65 pastors, um, for the most part, some just church members and stuff there, and they give each person two sections of scripture, and you have to basically dissect it according to the Simeon Trust sort of method, which is a really good method. And then you sit in front of your group of 10 to 12, you know, pastors and church leaders, and they just dissect what you've done, how well you've dissected a certain section of scripture. So it's, uh, it's really good, really good instruction. I mean, they were, you know, kind And for the most part, you know, at least with me, it went okay. You know, definitely got some room for growth. So really blessed to be there. It was awesome. So praise God for Simeon Trust. It was led by David Helm, who I have a book of David Helm. I think he wrote a book on expository preaching that I have. But very sharp guy, very smart man. Um, It was great to sit and listen to him. And even the church that it was hosted at here, Desert Springs Church, uh, has a great pastor as well, Ryan Kelly, very smart, godly man. 
So it was awesome time. Praise God for that. And that leads into my prayer request. This week, I'm heading out to L.A. to go to the Shepherds Conference, which will be, I'm sure, just as good, just as edifying as Simeon was. Just pray for safe travels for us and pray that our time there would be blessed. I'm fortunate enough to be able to go with our church's elders. So hopefully I will continue to be uh, taught and instructed as we uh, are sitting there, even outside of the conference, as we're just together with the elders. So that's all really good. Yeah, pray for me while he's gone. Pray for Nikki as well. Taking the kids to all the things they got to go to, all the sports, every everything. Joys of being a trad wife, as we'll discuss later, <laughs> if you want Boy. to call Nikki that. She's not a trad wife, per se. Do you even know what a trad wife is? No. That's because you're not on Twitter often enough. All right. Never. But before we get this thing fully rolling and get into our first topic here, I just want to remind you guys, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community, a great place to go and find about 50 to 60 Christian podcasts covering a whole host of different topics that, you know, all relate to the Christian life in one way or another. Uh, But the cool thing is, you subscribe to one feed, the Christian Podcast Community, and you get all 60 podcasts for the most part, so you don't have to clutter up your feed with, you know, 50 to 60 different podcasts. It's just one feed, keeps things clean and interesting, because you never know what we're going to talk about. Uh, What were they talking about this week, or this month, I'm sorry, on the Theology Throwdown? I don't think we're going to be able to make it just because of... Simeon, or uh, I'm sorry, because of the Shepherds Conference, I don't think I'm going to be able to be there. So uh, let's see if I can find it. I know, I know you told me, but yeah. Oh, the purpose of the church. That should be a pretty interesting discussion because you know there's people from different faith backgrounds, different. Um, different positions and members in or uh, you know inside the church not everyone on Christian podcast community is a pastor of that sort so maybe their views of what the purpose of a church is I wish I could be there for that but nevertheless um, but all right getting into this thing now I realize that some of you out there some of you astute thinkers out there um, might be saying to yourself why are we? talking about something that we believe we shouldn't be talking about. (laughs) Um, All that simple. It's different for us, of course. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. But, you know, somebody has to point out that Christians need to stop speaking so openly about their sex lives. You know, I see articles, videos, whatever it is, almost weekly about Christians and sex. I mean, you just go on YouTube and they're just... Everywhere, right? Christian sex Q and A's, top five tips. Of course, Christian sex tips. That's right. Got to keep it godly. Um, they're just everywhere. Um. So we wanted to look briefly at a podcast that recently came out. Um, Mark Driscoll aired it with his wife, and apparently somebody sent in a question asking how often a husband and wife uh, should be having sex. So let's take a listen and then we'll discuss. Welcome to the uh, Real Marriage Podcast. We're doing a series of special episodes where we answer your specific questions. And uh, it's really weird. 
it, they're always about sex. And so <laughs> I'll just tell you, people are very in a lane. So, you know, so here is Mark Driscoll, you know, even acknowledging that this question is the question he gets all the time, right, about sex. He says people are in a lane. <laughs> now, he's probably stretching it uh, a bit here, I would imagine, but it is apparently often enough that he gets these questions that it's noteworthy for him. And again, I feel like I see these articles or whatever videos about Christians and their sex lives fairly often. I can't quantify it. I didn't pull a bunch of articles or anything like that in prep for this. It's just something that I feel like I see a lot. And I think we might have even mentioned this before, like, hey, Christians, stop talking about sex all the time. I think we've done a video like that in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so here we are encouraging you once again to stop talking about your sex life so openly. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like, you know, Mark Driscoll agrees with us here or we agree with him either way. Um, it's being talked about a lot. So let's just listen to the Driscolls one more time and then we'll continue. Uh, do you want to answer this or you want me to? Well, 1 Corinthians 7 oh, kind of answers go Bible it. On it. Okay, you're going to go Bible <laughs> on it. All right. How often should a married couple have sex? Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, so what is that? <laughs> they still want a number. <laughs> These are very practical hey, people yeah. tuning in. You know, he said they just want a number. Mm -hmm. um, but for the sake of the Driscolls, I'll mention they don't actually give a number in here. And really, if you listen to this, which I don't encourage you necessarily to because I don't think Christians should be talking openly about sex, but... The discussion that they have isn't like overly crude or anything. No. It's really, they try to stick to a biblical framework of, you know, marriage and the relationship there. But I still think it's inappropriate, you know. I think it's just people want to talk about whatever everybody's asking them to talk about. And we do need to say, no, that's inappropriate. That's the route he should take. It should be teaching Christians what is godly to discuss. Um, we're never instructed to talk about those kinds of things openly like that. It's shameful. And I think it reveals the heart of many people that they want a number. And I think that's very like kind of legalistic. Someone who might desire a low number. Um, I think it's for selfish reasons and also for the one who is desiring a high number. I think the heart in it is um, the issue that they want a number. I think that's yeah. know, like a Pharisee. It's it's use, wanting the number to be legalistic with it. Right. And I don't know if he's joking about that um, or if he's being yeah. serious. But I think, like you said, um, pastors and stuff should be teaching, you know, that we shouldn't be discussing these things rather than mm -hmm. leaning into it because I think it is just largely – you know, they talk about it because it's what people want to hear about, right? So you got to feed the audience. And if you look at even sort of the subtitle of this video here, it says, how much is too much? You don't want to miss this spicy episode. Um, yeah, it's just like clickbait. Like that's drawing people in because like they're clicking on it because they're like, ooh, you know, like they're not watching it for the right 
right reason. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, because Christians should not be engaging publicly in what is considered spicy sex talk, mm-hmm. you know, about their sex lives or whatever. But I think any more, I think Christians really seem, I mean, again, we see this all the time, every week, it seems like. So it seems that there's an obsession with talking about sex. Um, and I don't believe that that's something a pastor should be discussing on a podcast in such detail. You know, again, see these stories regularly, Christian sex lives. Um, seems like there's always some Christian figure, some Christian news outlet discussing this from a Christian perspective, of course, because that somehow makes it godly. Uh, I'm a fentanyl addict, but a Christian fentanyl addict, like that doesn't make it better, Right. Um, But I believe that this is just another area where Christians are allowing the culture to drive the conversation rather than the church and scripture driving our conversations. Because our culture is sex-obsessed. The church does not need to be. Um, And like you said, this is Christian clickbait, in my opinion, right? You put that title down there. He's even got the little chili pepper (laughs) on the the episode title and you're like, ooh, this is going to be a spicy episode when in fact it really wasn't, Mm-mm. right? Because they really tried to, to the Driscoll's credit, they did try to keep it biblical um, and that sort of things. But even still, right, they're trying to get you to click on it. It worked on us, right? We clicked on it. We're talking about it. Um, but I think it's feeding your flesh to have these sorts of discussions, but you're trying to wrap it in some sort of like Christianese language. Mm-hmm. But whether you try to say it's a Christian sex life or just sex life, right? This isn't something Christians should be discussing on public airwaves, in my opinion. Like, our conversations shouldn't be as debased as the world's. Right. And then just slapping Christian on a debased conversation doesn't make it less debased. In fact, it may make it more debased. Because you're dragging Christ's name into the conversation, in a sense, anytime you slap Christian onto something. And I don't remember a lot of conversations Christ had in the Word with married couples about their intimate relationships. So now, with all that, I'm not suggesting that this isn't something that should be talked about uh, in your marriage. Even potentially, if you're having struggles, it's something you should talk about with your pastor. Yeah. But schedule a counseling session. Actually go and sit down with a pastor. Don't shoot off a question to a pastor you may not even know. I mean, I don't know if this guy that sent this message is even a member of Driscoll's church. Or is it just a dude that watches the podcast that wants Driscoll and his wife to tell him how often him and his wife should be intimate together. Like, that's not the proper place for you. I mean, this is kind of even the bigger idea that we see in our society where people think that you can just be like a YouTube Christian. I'm a YouTube church member. I go to church on YouTube. Mark Driscoll's the pastor who answers my questions. Do you go to his church? Do you sit in his pews? Do you tithe? To whatever I can't think of the name of their I bet church. People now. are like really disappointed that, that they didn't get their number. Because I'm sure if you go through the comments, people are given oh, the their comments number. Comments are like if you look down here, been married 40 years. The answer is a lot for us, three to four times a week. Why would a married couple put that on a YouTube comment? 
that's shameful. I mean, we don't know. I mean, people know who you are. If they know your handle here, I mean, what if your kids are looking at that? I don't know. I think it's inappropriate. Um, And, you know, the Bible discusses sex plenty, but it discusses it in the right context. Uh, I just think that Christians are beginning to think like the world, you know, that like sex is this all important piece of our lives and our relationships. Because in the secular world, sex is king. Sex is everything in the secular world. In the Christian world, Christ needs to be king. (laughs) That should be our all, you know, encompassing discussions. And our conduct, even our discussions amongst each other on the public airwaves need to be honoring to Christ. And I don't believe that married couples, even Christian married couples, are honoring Christ by sitting on a worldwide podcast discussing how often Christian couples need to be having sex. I don't know that that honors Christ. Mm -mm. And I thought Mark said something at the very end uh, of this video, and he said what people want is the power to get their own way. And I thought that's exactly what they're doing. They're just trying to find some scripture that, you know, is going to cause them to get their own way, twist the scripture, scripture, whatever they're trying to do. Just they're using the scripture in a selfish way. Um, yeah, I mean, most likely, especially if you're going to call in or message into a podcast and be like, listen, honey, I heard Mark Driscoll answer my question and doggone it. He said, we need to be doing it more. I told you you were wrong. Like, How is that the husband being Christ-like? Or even the wife, like, I told you to get off of me. Leave me alone. Right. Mark Driscoll. Yeah, this isn't going to benefit anyone's marriage at all by having a number. That's going to make things worse. No, but if you actually scheduled a counseling session and you and your wife went and sat down for a couple of sessions with your pastor and discussed what was going on in your life and your marriage that was causing you guys to have some sort of disagreement or um, difficulty, Mm -hmm. then you might actually work through those things. But, you know, and then even still, right, just I don't see how we set ourselves apart from the world in a Christ-honoring way by discussing the same things that the world talks about just in a more refined and dignified manner. You're not, (laughs) right? You're talking about the same things the world is talking about and I think it's inappropriate to do in this manner mm-hmm. uh, for Christians. So do you have any last thoughts on openly discussing marital relations? No, we don't need to talk about it more. We I'd love to know what shouldn't. you guys think. Uh, <laughs> because, again, we've mentioned this before. And obviously, Mark Driscoll wasn't listening to us. Uh, he should tune in, Mark. And uh, I'd be curious to know what you guys think because this is everywhere. And do you guys find this helpful? I don't know. Do you think, boy, it's really good that Christians are discussing this so openly today? Or are you like us and you go, boy, why are we discussing this so openly today? Um, It seems like a very worldly type of conversation to have on public airwaves. So I would love to know what you guys think. Please let us know down in the show notes. Um, Come find us on social media, all that sort of stuff. I love to hear from you guys. I do my best to read all the comments and answer as many of them as I can. 
So let us know. But we will keep this thing moving and continue on to our discussion here on biblical manhood. Uh, but before we do, please take a minute to like the video if you like it, subscribe if you're on YouTube, follow if you're on Rumble. Um, you know, if you're on the podcast, please consider leaving us a five star review, a comment. All those sorts of things are very helpful. Um, they help other people find our show, and um, we'd be blessed by that if you would. But all right, on to biblical manhood, uh, but specifically the biblical manhood industry, as it's dubbed. Uh, mm -hmm. I saw this article today, or this week, I'm sorry. Uh, and I think the lady that writes this article, is, she, I think she says some really great things. Um, I think it's some things that fit in perfectly with what we try to do on this show, kind of make sense of the world and even the news from a biblical perspective. And sometimes, you know, even taking topics and discussions in the Christian sphere, like we just did with the Driscolls, and, but that the topics might be missing the mark in a sense, as far as we understand them, um, or even maybe leading us astray from maybe the true biblical understanding of a given topic, you know? So I think she hits on some really important things. Do you want to read this headline and then these couple of uh, paragraphs that I pulled out? Uh, it says the, the biblical manhood industry is a scam. She says, First, because as noted above, what constitutes biblical manhood or womanhood is not only uh, not clearly defined, but its definition is highly contested. The term originated, after all, in order to make a boundary, strike a mark, and create a brand as a reactionary move amid the culture wars. Furthermore, the tropes most commonly invoked within the discourse around biblical manhood distort or even misrepresent what the Bible teaches about virtue and character for men as well as women. Second, just as women's fashion magazines exist by creating needs and desires women wouldn't have otherwise, and then offering the solutions uh, to these manufactured needs, Christian publications can also operate on similar capitalistic and consumeristic principles. Certain topics, those that get at our core identities and callings in particular, are more prone to manipulation. This vulnerability derives from basic human nature, but when a spiritual or religious layer is added on top of those basic human needs, the potential for exploitation rises considerably. Everything is a scam. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's seeking to bilk us out of our money. Why would this be any different? You know? Right. Um, and I feel like from the Christian side of things, we think that like, propaganda and the fake news, if you will, comes only from the satanic left. And while a lot of it does, you know, we'd be foolish to think that we don't have just as many sort of grifters and con men, liars, or just plain uninformed folks on our own side. You know, we, I think we certainly do. And the biblical manhood camp, which I think sort of plays into like the larger rise of like the new masculinity, if you want to call it that, or um, the social media masculinity, you can call it that if you want, kind of the Andrew Tates of the world. But then even, um, I would tie this in, like I mentioned with Nikki earlier, the trad wife sort of oh, yeah. idea. I think these are big money makers on the right. Um, 
today, you know, in the sort of Christian conservative side of things. Um, you know, social media members have been birthed out of uh, these industries, if you will, out of mm-hmm. these movements, and there's money to be made there. And if there's money to be made, then grifters and con men will be a coming. Uh, but not that all biblical manhood is bad. I do want to make that point here. I think maybe in large part, this was birthed out of the right response. You know, we've seen feminism drag this nation into the toilet and really the West as a whole be drug into the toilet. And that even along with effeminate men, that's really helped uh, the decline of the West. So a correction is needed for sure, but the correction has to be correct godly character and not like a superficial artificial idea of masculinity which is Mm -hmm. i think what she's really getting to in this article here uh let me see if i can find this next uh point that i wanted to mention here uh yeah she says note i didn't say that biblical manhood is a scam i said the industry around it is a scam right i think it's because she clarified industry. Yeah, it's the yeah. industry that's the scam because biblical manhood is a thing. You know, it does exist. Right. But the industry around it so often is misleading or misguided. And you know, you see this I think sense of Christian or biblical manhood or if you want to call it like the bravado that they try to carry today. I you know, it comes out a lot of times I think in like a really harsh and attacking way that some of these men talk or respond to certain issues. You know, it made me think of, we just discussed it a few weeks ago with Alistair Begg. Um, You know, Joel Webin, I think, kind of had this sort of response when, you know, he kind of just dismissed Alistair as an effeminate man and Mm. mentioned that he sucked because he didn't give the right response on an issue. Like, that's not um, masculine, to just trash somebody that way. Uh, yeah, we can't put masculinity above Christ-likeness. Yeah, that doesn't make you a biblical man to be, you know, harsh and, you know, quick to dismiss and those sorts of things. That's like, like that's saying ungodly. being conservative is being a Christian. People keep mixing definitions. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Have you seen the modern Republican Party? It is not Christian, I assure you. Um, So I think that's important to note, right? It's not biblical manhood. It's the industry that's a scam. And it's the industry that's misleading people into thinking that biblical manhood is something that it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, She goes on in here and says, Rather than relying on the warrior as a metaphor for manhood, he said, He extols the character of Christ in all its complexity and finds the men in his church doing better as a result. Um, They're talking about this Steve Besner, pastor of Houston Northwest Church. And, you know, that's the idea, right, that we should be striving to teach about biblical masculinity. Um, It should be taught in, you know, loving and providing for your wife uh, and your children. It should be you know, being slow to speak, quick to listen, self-control, self-discipline, leading your family in righteousness. You know, it's not like money, strength, or physical appearance, being an outdoorsman, whatever it happens to be. And even mm-hmm. though it's from Charles Spurgeon, whom we love, 
Charles Spurgeon approved. I would still disagree with it. You know, having a beard doesn't make you a man. Um, <laughs> these are all fine traits, even good traits in a lot of respects. Um, but that doesn't make you a biblical man, right? You know, they mentioned David in this article here. David was the warrior king. Um, but he was a biblical and godly man. Paul, you know, he was an academic, the Pharisee of Pharisees, as was like Ezra the scribe, an academic. Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter the fisherman, right? They were all biblical and godly men, but what they all had in common, because one's a warrior, they got scribes, they got Pharisees, fishermen. What they all had in common was love for God, striving after righteousness in their lives. They loved the law of God. They loved the brethren. Mm -hmm. They loved fellow believers and they loved God. Like that was the biblical manhood right. aspect of them, and, even though they all came from different walks of life. And I just wonder because of the time we're in where there's so much gender confusion, like that's just a topic, like what is a woman? What is a man? And maybe that's why people are just having these distorted... I guess, definitions or ideas of what it means to be a man and a woman. They're just making yeah. up extremes maybe or just what they think it is. And I think some people really don't know what it means and they're just going with whatever definition they hear someone speak about instead Probably. of going to scripture. And again, I think this is right. I mean, again, because the world is so confusing, people are trying to get a grip on reality. Mm -hmm. trying to push back on all the transgender nonsense, you know, what is a man, what is a woman, and they're trying to define it, right? But just the same as we wouldn't, like, define, you know, because this is something we kind of got ourselves into a problem with, and, you know, because reactions work both, uh, work both ways. So, you know, the, what was it, maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, or maybe 80s and stuff, the idea of the perfect woman, right, was, you know, the supermodel kind of image, right? And the super slender or maybe even like fake breasts and all these sorts of like over the top things about women. And in reaction to that, we see today where they're like, you know, making underwear ads now for obese women and these sorts of things. And they're like, the supermodel isn't the real woman, right? These are real women. But they're and you're still like, making it an outward um matter. Sure. I'm just saying that you see the reaction on both sides. Yeah. So the reaction to the transgenderism, the feminist movement, I think is good, you know, because we do need to push back on those ideas. But the pushback needs to be right. And it needs to be correct and not a different artificial, superficial idea. Like you said, the idea of, well, that's not a real woman, the supermodel. Here's the outward expression of a real woman. Uh, overweight woman in underwear. Like, no, that's not it either, right? We need to focus on the internal, the character of a person, these sorts of things, according to scripture. So uh, I think that's, I think it's right to push back. I just think we need to push back rightly, truthfully. Mm -hmm. um, let me see. I grabbed this other quote here. Let me see if I can find it. Do you want to read this quote? says, and when the people behind the industry don't live up to or even believe the message themselves, then it's a scam, even if the message is true. Like all machines, industries can eat people alive, and such machines distort or destroy the gospel message itself. Yep. And 
you know what that made me think of? Uh, to who we just talked about earlier, Mark Driscoll, <laughs> because mm. like this is how he basically built his brand. If you remember, you know, back when we were reviewing the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, this is basically what they pointed out. You know, Mark Driscoll basically exploded on the Christian scene because he was challenging men to be men, um, which I believe we said then and I believe today is a good thing. And it's probably even more important um, and more needed today than it was back in the early 2000s when Driscoll was at Mars Hill. It's probably more important now for that message. Um, and I guess just as a side note, if you missed any of those reviews, go back and listen to them. I think there was some really good stuff discussed there. But, you know, Mark missed the boat uh, because what he was necessarily teaching is biblical manhood wasn't always quite right. A lot of it was, but not all of it was. But then he missed the boat even more so in his personal life by not actually carrying himself as a biblical or godly man, which is what they she says in here, right? The machine and the industry can eat people alive. And it ate Mark alive. Now, maybe he was ripe for the, the picking, if you will, because of who he is. But his message started off good, biblical masculinity or whatever you want to call it but his life didn't reflect it um, later and his messages weren't always on point and it ate him alive. You know, if you listen to those podcasts, it ate him alive. So I think that's an important point. Um, and then she says down here as well, I thought this was really good. Um, she says, in my recent book, The Evangelical Imagination, I devote an entire chapter to the notion of improvement showing how this early modern concept contributed to the rise of the self-help movement in the 19th century and has spilled over into the Christian thinking and practice today. Man, this statement fascinates me. <laughs> and I think it's so true. Mm -hmm. Like, we live in this self-help, kind of like human improvement saturated culture. Yeah, we do. Everything is about making you better, healthier, happier, you know, just so long as you take this guru or influencer's advice, of course, right? You take their advice, everything's going to be better, right? Take a cold shower to be healthier. Grow your own vegetables. Take this supplement. Wake up this way. Wait, Go to what's bed this wrong way. with a garden? Nothing's wrong with a garden. <laughs> um, it's a good thing, I guess, in a sense. Not everybody can have a garden. And is your life going to be drastically better if you have a garden? I don't know. Um, I think tending a garden is just sure. I think good for you. The point, though, is there's always these gurus that are telling you to do all these different things, right? You know, work out this way, work out that way, all this sort of stuff, right? Everywhere you look, somebody has a trick uh, or a piece of advice to make your life better. It doesn't mean there isn't truth to those things. Uh, in some sense, no, in a lot of ways sure um when you make it the thing i guess right when you're chasing all these different little i just think it's a mindset that we've been sort of conditioned into to constantly be improving human yeah, improvement yeah, self-help make your life better here that well maybe i have this discussion with a lot of people even our dear christian podcast uh <laughs> executive director andrew rapport he's a cold shower, cold ice bath 
taker now. And I've had discussions with family and friends that are like, oh, you take the ice bath or you take a cold shower. And I'm like, nah, I do a lot of healthy things. Like, I don't need to do don't the need extremes. To do that one either. Um, except carnivore. That you know. might be the extreme. It does help. Well, and again, <laughs> this is what you said, right? There's truth to a lot of these. And if you like tending a garden because it makes you happy or you like eating homegrown food, that's good for you. Um, if you like taking workout advice and exercising, that's good for you. Well, but when I... it becomes a mindset where we're constantly striving after every little piece of advice. Right. And, and I know why a lot of people are there. Let me just chime in. Because of how everything is corrupted, our food is messed with, everything's pesticides, things GMO, we've gotten into a really bad way of living because so many people are chronically sick. And I think that is what's turning people toward all these little, these little things, these little truths, um, just a simple way of living. I think you can become overly obsessed with that. Um, but those things, there is a lot of good in it. And I think people are, you know, taking these simple ways of life um, and just, you know, making a platform for themselves out of it. They are, but also uh, we have to be aware of our own biases. And this is kind of something we might have talked about before from the conservative side of things. There's propaganda on both sides. So yeah, people are aware that there are people that think, man, everything's GMO'd, everything's pesticide, everything. So they're going to lean into that. And there are people that are like terrified of the food they eat. And they're going to lean into that because there's an right. industry there to scare you into following my way of eating, my way of cooking, my way of this and that. So is there truth to it? Of course there is. Is there an industry around it that scams people into certain ways of thinking right. that, you know, builds them brands and influence and all these sorts of things? Yes. So we have to be able to discern that, hey, man, right. eating, you know, gummy nerds for dinner is not healthy. I need to find a better way to eat. Yes. But when it's like, you know, if, if you don't um, make your own bread, churn your own butter and mm -hmm. grow your own vegetables, well, you're going to die of cancer. And you're like, settle down. All right. Um, maybe you're going to the extreme there. And I think those things exist in every walk of life, right? Politics is the same way. Oh, look, the left is trying to scare the right. And you're like, well, what do you think the right's trying to do to the left? Like, it's all the same, right? Mm -hmm. They're all doing the same thing. So yeah. why wouldn't the Christian sort of grifter industry be exactly the same? I think that's the point that she's kind of making here is that, yeah, biblical manhood, super important. Biblical womanhood, very important things to discuss in your day-to-day -day life. But be aware, there is an industry around this that is making people money, building brands and influence. That is not always actually biblical. You have to be discerning in those things to figure out which is which, just like you said with the food stuff. Yeah, there is, you know, how many supplements exist out there that are the exact supplement that you need? Right. And for if anybody you're... that's taking supplements realizes, I take them all. I generally feel about the same. I know. You don't so need to right. <laughs> go in debt in order to be healthy. Like that's just, yeah, yeah. you know that it's a scam when it's really pricey. And then even when you just look at the Christian industry as a whole, right, there's not a lot of people becoming, you know, 
modern-day sort of Christian influencers by telling you to carry your cross daily, to die to yourself, to spend time That's alone with popular. God. That's not popular, right. <laughs> you know, they don't come out and say, hey, go suffer for his namesake. When you're weak, he is strong. So rejoice in your weakness, right? Because God's grace is going to well, shine through you. Everybody likes to feel empowered, that empowerment. And you said the self-help. They don't want to admit that they're weak and that they need Jesus' help. They want to help themselves. They want to find five steps to make their lives better instead of just come to Christ. Yeah, I mean, I think about confess like... Confess your weaknesses. All the different little like influence people that are going to tell you how to organize your life in a better way and make the most use of your time. And like, it's just endless, man. And, yeah. Um, I can say I can I can get caught up in that stuff, you know. Like, we oh, can, I can improve my life. stuff to it, right? It we makes should you be feel, people like that sense of accomplishment. Like, I did these things, and it can all be in your head that you feel better or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a reason people give into it, right? There's a reason people follow it. Nobody follows just outright awful, miserable advice on a daily <laughs> basis. It all has good yeah. aspects to it, but it becomes a problem when it sort of takes over your thinking or it distorts your thinking that somehow yeah. you believe maybe, you know, spiritual discipline is having a good journal that you plan out your day with or whatever it is. Like, or if I just had the right notebook and I just, you know, <laughs> the read right the notebook. right book at the right yeah. time in the morning, my day's going to be better. And like, then you start or you even know, leaning taking... into this industry and you're kind of, yeah. You're taking some good stuff, but you might be getting scammed along the way as well, right? When you're investing too much of your time yeah. in these sorts of things. Yeah, we elevate like even one spiritual discipline. Like a lot of people get obsessed about fasting and 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 praying for a certain length of time, like it becomes a works-based um thing and they expect like blessings are going to come their way by these works. Although they are good spiritual disciplines, they just obsess about it and focus just on those things. Yeah, you know, and I just think that's kind of what I'm seeing here with this woman and kind of expanding it beyond the biblical manhood into this sort of the industry scams that we see as a whole, right? Because the world is telling you to invest all your time, all your energy in this life, you know, maximize it, stretch it out as long as you can. If you just follow all the TikTok advice that's out there, you'll live young and sexy forever. And isn't that going to be great? Uh, when we should have our eyes fixed on eternity, that should be our driving goal, mm -hmm. I think. Um, just two more paragraphs I wanted to highlight from here. Um, do you want to read this paragraph? Um, over the course of the 20th century, the publishing industry created a commercial religion, one in which publishers and booksellers create consumers' desires along with the authors and celebrities constructed to fill those needs. What follows is a vicious cycle that cultivates the demand that perpetuates the supply. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> good and so true. Yep. Um, do you ever think that? I know I think these things a lot. Like you see somebody that you're told is an expert of some sort or another that you need to listen to and you wonder mm -hmm. why. Why are they an expert? Everything is commercialized. Like everything in our life, yeah. good and bad. 
We're told we we need these things, and and you're told by somebody that you should trust and believe, and you're like,、mm-hmm. who is this? Why do I need to take advice from this sort of people? And this again extends well beyond the Christian world, but we're you know she's focused on the Christian world here.、Mm-hmm. But again, you turn on any cable news outlet, and they're like, this is Tom Thompson. He's a Middle East expert, and you're like, why? Who? Who says he's a middle? How did he become a Middle East expert? Well, he sat in a college class for a couple of years, of course, and now he's an expert. On, like, and I have to listen to him. Why? I and like in the、yeah. Christian vein here, and what we're talking about, biblical manhood, womanhood, is like, why does every twenty-five to thirty-five year old in the country have some life-changing advice that you need to follow、Everyone's、now? Right? Like, coach, you got a a camera or a cell phone, and now you are. A leading voice in some given industry at、yeah. 20 years old. I like, mean, the message to everybody is like, you're missing out on something, and I have the answer. And it just takes me back to Adam and Eve in the garden with Satan, convincing them they were missing out on something, and to follow his voice, they were convinced they lacked, and that's just what's going on today. Yeah, I think it's. And just he, seeing somebody put it on paper and crystallize it, just I think makes so much、mm-hmm. sense to me, right? Like, why do we need to know who this random person is or what this random person thinks that we're told is an expert now? Well, if the, what Daniel Vaca, Vaca, whoever this is, who wrote this book, Evangelicals Incorporated,、uh, if what he says is true, which I think it is, why do we need to know who they are? Well, there's books and material to sell, and they need someone to sell it to you. We're like obsessed with information, obsessed with well, and we're just in such a that... marketing, social media culture. Yeah. That, like, why is somebody become an expert today? Maybe they're an expert, or maybe they were made to be thought of as an expert. Right? They're promoted in such a way to get something sold, and this is dangerous、wow. just in normal life. Right? When we talk about things like fitness and exercise. You know, you're doing something that somebody tells you is healthy, but you don't really know who they are, right? I mean, how many TikTok dietitians are out there in the world that you don't know who they are? Yet they're giving you some sort of eating or medical advice or health and fitness advice. Doesn't this just make you think of 2020? Who who popped up and we never heard of him, but he had the answer for everyone, right? And、uh, <laughs> you just you know, and we live in a social media world, and you just. Hey, this person is an expert. Look at—they've got a million views. They must be right on something. And this is dangerous in normal life, but when it comes to your faith, right? These could be eternally dangerous things to be discussing and just giving over to because somebody's a made-up expert,、um, a promoted,、mm-hmm. you know, marketed expert, if you will. Yeah.、Um, I just want to finish with this last bit that she talks about here. It's a slightly lengthy, but I think it's really interesting. She says, "Thus arose the evangelical industrial complex, a term coined by Sky Jethany in 2012." This、uh, the phrase alludes to a similar one made by famous President Dwight Eisenhower in his 1961 speech. Warning of the unintended consequences of America's unrestrained expansion of the military and its self-perpetuating arms industry, the military-industrial complex. Both the military-industrial complex and the current-day evangelical version are driven by systematic economic forces. Jethany explains, 
In the case of the evangelical industrial complex, that driving economic power is the Christian publishing industry. And the unintended consequence in this case is the endless proliferation of images of manhood and womanhood that ever expand an appetite they cannot satisfy, yet lead further and further away from the one and only one who can. Man is that good. Um, so as we always like to, why is this important to Christians talking about this? You know, she says in here, an ever expanding appetite that cannot be satisfied yet leads us further away from the one who can satisfy, of course, which is Christ. Um, now again, look, I'm not going to tell you that biblical masculinity or even masculinity and femininity, uh, femininity are bad things. I don't think they are. They're good things. Um, I think they're great things, but they're only great when they're done in the right context. And like everything else in the world, really, the context that's right is according to Scripture. Mm -hmm. You know, Christ is our perfect example. So it's important because we need to be on guard against anything or anyone that's trying to present us a picture other than Christ. No matter how big their social media platform is, how many books they write, how much Christianese they use, it doesn't matter if we aren't becoming more Christ-like. And I think that's what she's kind of getting at here with this biblical manhood industry. You know, it's wrapped in a lot of Christianese. And this is like so much of our Christian walk and world. People speak the right words, right? They speak the right language, if you will. They say the right things, and but not in the right way, right? And it's, it can be subtle, but it's misleading. Um, and we have to be yeah. aware of that. We have to be aware that there's an industry built around manhood, womanhood, masculinity, femininity, just like everything else. We need to be aware that there's grifters there. Um, I think there's and, just so many things people just need to talk to their pastor about instead of just following YouTubers, trying to find the answers outside of the shepherd God gave you. So I just think we need to be careful there. Um, right. We're all prone to this. I mean, in this social media world, I mean, we just get locked into the screens, the things we like to listen to, and it's so easy to be led astray. We have to be careful. We have to be discerning. We have to be testing. Um, even when it sounds right, when it sounds good, you know, we have to be thinking people. Um, Christianity is a reasoned and logical faith. We need to be reasoned and logical in what we're hearing, testing it against the word of God, which is true. So um, I just think we have to be aware of that. It's important for Christians to know there's an industry, and where there's industry, where there's money to be made, there are scammers and con men mm -hmm. that will be there, um, and we have to be aware of that. So what should Christians do about it? Well, again, first we have to be aware of it, right? Uh, and this is why we talk about these things. And you may say that we're wrong in our diagnosis. You might be listening to this and be like, you guys are wrong. You're stupid and you don't know what you're talking about. That's fine. <laughs> that If you want to say that, that's fine. Hopefully, we at least get you thinking about these topics and really, you know, maybe go and spend some time in the Word searching out the truth of these topics if you haven't already. Um, so even if we're wrong, if we just get you to do that, then come and tell us we're wrong. So you can help us out as well, right? Um, but we need to be aware that these things are out there so that we can spend time 
trying to understand them rightly according to the word of God. Because we live in a loud world with voices that are constantly telling us what's right, what's wrong, what we need to do about any given sort of topic or thing. We can't just go along with wherever the current tide is going, right? This is what biblical masculinity is today. You need to grow a beard and do squats and then, you know, earn six figures if you want to be a man. Is that what the Bible says, right? We need to go and test that. Um, Even if Spurgeon says it, Spurgeon is not Christ. He's not an apostle. He might get some things wrong occasionally, right? We have to be... Even the beloved Spurgeon must be held to account according to the word of God. He even talked about how much he liked his cigar, something he wouldn't give up. I don't think he saw it as a sin, though, to smoke, but... Right. So, I mean, but is it a sin to smoke a cigar? Don't let a TikToker tell you. (laughs) Go and look in the word of God, right? Go talk to your pastor. We just have to constantly be searching for the truth according to what God has stated. And then we just have to be always, I mean, it's tiring, it's exhausting, but we have to always be fighting to stay on that narrow road. Um, There are so many off-ramps, so many ways to steer us off the narrow road. You got to be aware of it and um, constantly be fighting to stay dead center in that narrow road. So how should we pray about it? Because Christians should pray about everything. I think we have to be praying for discernment, for wisdom every day. Um, I think we have to pray for godly men and godly women to be in our lives that'll speak truthfully to us. Um, They have to tell us sort of where we are, what we're doing. Um, And then I think we need to be humble, pray for humility, that we would actually accept correction. This is something I feel like, you know, gets talked about a lot. You need to have godly men and women who will sharpen you. But nobody likes to be sharpened. It's so much easier to dismiss everybody for being wrong, stupid, ungodly than just going, yeah, you know what? Um, I think I kind of got lost there and, you know, I don't know, uh, maybe I didn't need to kill all my electricity and (laughs) live like a live like the Amish in order to stay godly. Maybe I went a bit overboard. Um, You know, it takes humility to accept that level of correction. Um, Maybe to have somebody go, hey, listen, brother. Uh, maybe you don't need to speak publicly about your sex life with your wife. That's inappropriate for a Christian. And you go, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I apologize. Forgive me, Lord. Right. We need to pray that we could actually be people who accept that level of correction because it's not easy. Um, so pray that you have people in your life that'll correct you and that you will receive the correction. So, uh, you know, Biblical masculinity, even sort of like the Andrew Tate, you know, fake version of masculinity, that social media masculinity, or even the trad wife, you know, industrial complexes, they need to be watched. They need to be scrutinized like everything else. Um, Whatever they say, no matter how prosperous they are, how happy or attractive they look, it needs Mm. to be tested against the word of God and discarded if it's not in line with that. So do you have any final thoughts here on biblical masculinity? industry scams as a whole, anything like that? Nope. We can move on to the next, the next thing. All right. Our new favorite topic of the, of the show here is, uh, Reddit Christianity. Turn to Reddit Christianity to see what the folks on Reddit have to say, what they're thinking in their Christian walk and in their faith. 
So do you want to read the headline from this week's Reddit Christianity? All right. Someone asks, where in the Bible is being trans a sin? Um, it says, I can understand. Um, mark yourself. But then getting earrings are also a sin. I read through the whole Bible. I was unable to find anything. Right. They just went and read the whole Bible just to search for something about being trans. They had an afternoon to burn. so they Right. No, I mean, it's a really good question. And uh, if you look on here, got a decent amount of reaction, 849 comments on there. And this is also a question that we've discussed in the past. And it's, you know, it's one of the things about having a small podcast, a small channel, you know, all of the really good topics that we've had over the years, you know, they just came and went without anyone really seeing or engaging them. You know, I think we have like almost 700 episodes that we've done in either devotionals or the podcast and, uh, you know, they don't get watched really, um, which is a shame. But we do have one subscriber right now that seems to be going back through some of our older shows. And that's been fun. They'll send me messages on shows that we did a long time ago that I kind of forgot about. Uh, I think just this week while I was at the Simeon Trust thing, they sent me a comment. They were none too pleased about our discussion on the royal family. <laughs> and uh, I think they're British and uh, or from England, I would imagine. I don't remember exactly what we said about the royal family. I think the episode by and large was about Harry, Prince Harry, and sort mm -hmm. of his victim mindset. So if we offended you um, with our discussion on the royal family, forgive us. It wasn't our intention to offend anybody. I just don't personally like the idea of kings and queens and royalty as a whole. Uh, that hasn't changed. But uh, I do like royalty more than people with a victim mentality. So <laughs> that's something. But, you know, hey, if you're listening to us, if you're fairly new here, Go give a listen to some of our older episodes. We may have something on there that you find interesting that we've talked about in the past. Um, I'd like to try to re-engage with you on those sorts of things. Hear your thoughts on those. Uh, it's always fun. Got a lot of good topics on there. But anyways, we'll get back to Reddit. So the question they ask again, right, is where does the Bible speak about uh, being trans is a sin? And gentleman or whoever this is mentions they read the entire Bible and they can't find it. And I think this is something that takes knowing your Bible a little bit more. Um, and this is, you know, again, whenever you hear an atheist, like, I've read the whole Bible, you're like, oh, hot dog. Great. I guess you have it all figured out, right? Doesn't make a difference. Um, it's good to read the Bible. But, you know, the Bible doesn't explicitly, to the best of my knowledge, say being trans is a sin. This largely isn't something that they were dealing with in their time. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't explicitly describe as being, you know, good or bad, right? There's a lot of things that exist in the world. The Bible can't highlight all of them, right? Uh, even John, right? He talks about all the great things Christ does. And then at the end of the book, he says, if I was to write everything that Christ did, you know, the books couldn't contain all that mm -hmm. he did, right? We kind of have to extrapolate out. Um, now, there are certainly many things in the Bible that it describes perfectly clearly. Though, oddly enough, even the things that it describes perfectly clearly, people will still claim the Bible is fuzzy on, right? 
Yeah. You know, things like sexual immorality, homosexuality, and all of that, right? Pretty clear on it. And people are still like, I don't really know what it says here. Um, You know, but by and large, the Bible is giving you principles that we can apply Mm -hmm. to any given situation in our lives. Any situation you find yourself in, the Bible either explicitly explains it or it explains the principles that we use to determine good or bad in a situation. Yeah, because people will just take something that's so similar to whatever they're arguing about, whatever they want to defend, and be like, well, it's not specific enough. It's like the old Bible talks about don't eat too much honey. Well, it doesn't say don't eat too much sugar, so I guess I'm good to go. I can be a glutton in that area. I don't know. It's just... Drinking all this Kool-Aid here. Um, Doesn't say you can... Yeah. Right. So you have to apply apply the principles for the most part. Now, the areas where it explicitly describes things, you got to at least get those (laughs) ones right. Yeah. Um, But then you look for the principles, um, which is fascinating, and which is why, you know, just as a side note, going to things and learning how to study the Bible is so important. Because God is smarter than you, and he gave us a book, or, you know, 66 books written in such a way that it's not just a tick box of do this, don't do that. It's narratives, it's poetry, Mm -hmm. it's discourses, and these sorts of things that explain life and faith in given situations that you can extrapolate out to the given. So they weren't dealing with trans issues in Ezekiel's day, you know, or in Moses's day, but we can learn from the issues they were dealing with, how we should handle the issues we're dealing with today, right? So, you know, Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments tells us that you shall have no other gods before God and that you shall not make or worship any idols, right? Now, the Bible doesn't give you a lengthy list of idols that you should avoid, all the idols for all of time that you should avoid. Um, It gives you the principle that you don't have anything more important than God, and you don't worship these things over and above God. So whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. Money can become an idol. Sex becomes an idol. Celebrities become an idol. All these sorts of things, you can apply that principle almost any area of your life. They didn't need to give you a list. They gave you the principle. Right, because like people are just trying to use the Bible um, as something um, where like they can say, well, it doesn't, they're just, they want to know what sins they can do, what sins they don't find in the Bible. It's just to get away with sin. They're just using the Bible as something it is, it is so twisted. So I'm allowed to do this sin because the Bible doesn't say it. Like, that's their reason for reading it? Right. To see what they can get away with? Largely, I would say that's, in a lot of sense, what people do, right? And again, you know, and this happens in a lot of areas of life. We have to guard ourselves against that as well. So, you know, in this vein here um, of transgenderism, I would say, again, while the Bible doesn't explicitly speak on transgenderism, although... You could maybe say that it does. Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 here says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on women's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh. So it kind of touches on a little bit, but even more so, right? It still speaks clearly when you apply biblical principles, because transgenderism is largely a sin of pride, right? You're claiming that, you know, 
you're going to correct the mistakes that God made. Essentially, you're making yourself your own God, right? You'll make yourself in your own image because the image God gave you is wrong. And that's breaking the first commandment because, you know, pride is always lifting yourself above God. And God hates pride. Let me go to, um, do you want to read Proverbs 8 verse 13? Uh, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Yep. Uh, Transgenderism, I would say, is a sin of pride. God hates pride. And like I said, pride, I would say, breaks the first commandment. And then, you know, if we're to um, acknowledge God as God in all of his attributes, right? Maybe even especially his omniscience. you go to the fact that God knew us before he formed us. He knitted us together in our mother's womb, which the Bible supports. Then to claim that God got it wrong would be, in, would be to blaspheme against God as well, right? You're claiming that God does not have the attributes that he has. That's blasphemy, and it's breaking the third commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain. So just already in the sin of transgenderism, you've broken the first commandment, which is a sin. You've blasphemed against God, which is a sin. There's two sins. Um, Then you could also just add in that, you know, since God created you as he determined to create you, but you want to be something else, even claiming that you are something else, because that's what most transgender people will say is that, you know, I am a man in a woman's body. I am a woman in a man's body. That's a lie, right? Um, Yeah, you're just lying. And it's dishonoring to your mother and your father. Yeah, certainly it's dishonoring to them as well. But even just, you know, so yeah, if you want to say it's dishonoring to your father and your mother, you've just broken another commandment (laughs) as well, right? Um, To say that you're something that you're not um, is a lie and God hates lies. Do you want to read Proverbs 12 verse 22, honey? Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. I mean, we got to think like whatever... I guess if you want to look at you're in the wrong body, God made a mistake and it's like a it's like being born with a handicap or something. It's like why focus on changing yourself? Is that necessary in order to serve God, to obey his commandments? Um, like you're just hyper focused on something that doesn't matter in light of eternity. Right. And this is something the Christian affirmation crowd gets wrong over and over again, that somehow your happiness and joy and satisfaction in life is important or even more important than your obedience and submission to God, even unto death. It goes along the lines of like, you can't love others until you love yourself. That's all in the same vein. Like, and I don't love myself. So how can I love somebody? You know, how can I love others? And I need to make myself happy first. I need to feel like I'm loving myself properly first. It's just very twisted. Yeah, and even the fact that, like, well, it's not fair that, you know, this person feels a certain way and I'm struggling inside, and it's not fair. Whoever said life had to be fair? Um, Nothing says life has to be fair. You know, just one of my Simeon Trust verses that we went through was Acts chapter 12, and it's fascinating in Acts 12, right, and, you know, one three-little, three-sentence there are three verse, you know, paragraph there. It talks about James is arrested by Herod and killed. 
Paul gets arrested by Herod. God breaks Paul out of prison. Or Peter, I'm sorry, out of prison. Yeah. And you're like, man, James was a righteous man, an apostle of God, served him with all his heart, and he just got killed. And it's just a verse, mm. comes and goes. And Peter has a whole, man, what happened? It wasn't fair. Well, who cares? Mm. God had a plan and a purpose for each of them. He completed it. And uh, it doesn't have to be fair. Right? I'm sure the church was praying for James just as fervently. Right. And James' life was not a failure. His death in that prison was not a failure. I would imagine he ran his race well and finished it. Yeah. Um, God could have sent an angel to him as well. Yeah. So the idea that, well, it's not fair. Get over it. It doesn't have to be fair. Um, so, you know, we've already talked about is trans a sin? You're breaking the first commandment. You're breaking the third commandment. Honor your father and mother is the... Fifth? Is it the fifth commandment, Fourth, maybe? I think so. We've talked about a sin of lying as well. And then you could also say that you're committing self-harm, which I would say dismisses the Apostle Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, trying to be trans, you are. Yeah, you're messing with your hormones. Like the whole, your whole system is going to be messed up and it causes you to be sick. Yeah, I mean, even to the ascent, or the case of actually going through surgery and stuff, you're doing self-harm. And Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. And I would say it's not God glorifying, chopping up your body to serve your own pride. I don't mm -hmm. think that's glorifying that's God with your body. It's just a desire body. of the flesh. There is nothing spiritual um, about it. I don't think so. In a good sense. <laughs> so I would say that's probably a sin as well in the self-harm. But then you could also say in many instances, you could lump in sexual sin with transgenderism, which is a sin as well. Um, and then, you know, there's probably just a myriad of other sins. Maybe you could go down the rabbit hole of what transgenderism entails, but those are just the ones I thought of in the moment. Um, so I think even in light of that, James chapter 2, verse 10 is important to mention. Let me pull up James chapter 2, verse 10, because again, you could add in probably other sins and other things like that that you're doing against God. But James chapter 2, verse 10 says, um, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. So even just breaking, if trans is just one of these sins, you know, if it's just lying, <laughs> then it's bad. You're breaking the whole law. You're guilty of the whole right. law. Right. Are you God. sinning in one point by going through with it? So you don't need the, the full list of all sins to weigh against the pros and the cons. If it's a sin in one area, right. it's wrong and we stop, right? And this might be the worst part of all of this, right? Um, you know, we all commit sins against God, too many to count, but sins can be forgiven. Christ's blood can wash away any of your sins, but those sins must be repented of. You know, Christ's blood does not wash away unrepentant sins. And if you are living a life of accepted transgender sins, you're not repentant, and therefore you will not be saved. That's the bad part. Um, because being trans and repenting and coming out of that life, lifestyle, 
is great and glorious. There's a celebration in heaven when trans people give their life to Christ, repent of those sins, and walk away from those sins, reject them. You know, even being, you know, LGBTQ in any sense, but repenting of that lifestyle and coming out of it is great and glorious. Being saddled in a life of unrepentant and accepted sin will send you to hell. There is no repentance. There's no washing of unrepentant sin. So this is where Christians get lumped in of like, ah, you just hate homosexuals and you just hate transgenders. No, we love them. um, And we're desiring for them to repent of those sins and walk away from that lifestyle. Just the same as a greedy person, just the same as a gluttonous Mm -hmm. person. We don't hate them, but the sin, if it's left unrepentant, is going to send you to hell. There's nothing loving about affirming somebody in a lifestyle that sends them to hell. There's nothing loving about what, you know, the Zach Lamberts of the world, the Andy Stanleys of the world are doing to people because you're damning their souls in a sense. That's not loving. So the bad news is transgenderism is a sin. And when you live in that lifestyle and accept that lifestyle, make that lifestyle your identity, same thing with LGBTQ lifestyles, you're unrepentant, that puts your soul in jeopardy. The good news is you can repent of that sin. It's no different than any other sin that people commit against God. You can repent of it. Christ can free you from it. Uh, You can walk in newness of life. Your soul can be saved and secured for all eternity in God's presence. That is great and glorious. So is transgenderism a sin? Yes. Does the Bible explain that it's a sin? Not necessarily, but the principles in the Bible clearly demonstrate that it's a sin. Um, So, yeah. Do you have any thoughts, any final thoughts on? Well, just thinking if someone feels like they're in the wrong body and they think the only thing they can do is to go through hormone replacement and surgery, but maybe it's one of these people, like they they call themselves a Christian and they're like this, but just ask God to help you be, to overcome that desire. I think it's more, I mean, to recognize it's a mental um, sickness and it's not true that you're in the wrong body. I think that's, you are believing a lie in your mind. Um, when you yeah. think you're in the wrong body, you are believing Satan. And yes, that's a horrible, tormenting thing that people go through if they truly believe they're in the wrong body. But Christ can set you free from believing lies and from confusion. So yeah. instead of trying to conform to the lie, you need to renew your mind and form to the truth. Um, Everybody struggles with sin in different ways. So this is just another struggle, another thing people deal with. And we just have to say, I'm not going to believe the lie. I'm not going to give in to the temptation, the desire. We need to just not elevate this transgender confusion above any other temptation or sin. Why is it something that's like a, a special type of sin that's um accepted and you know yeah i mean if you're born with a sweet tooth 
that doesn't mean gluttony isn't a sin for you now. It's still a sin right. you need to fight against. And being happy is important. People want you to be in a, be happy. Right. right. But it's not more important than obedience to Christ. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's not a message people like to hear today. And sadly, we'll have plenty of people that will tell you that's not correct and that your happiness is the chief goal of your life. Um, you got to reject that. And there is freedom in Christ. Um, it's not always easy. It's not always joyful to get there, but it can can be had for you. It's like it can for anybody. So um, yeah, reject that lie. God didn't make a mistake. Life doesn't have to be easy. You can still live obediently to God. His grace is sufficient for you. Um, so really good topic from Reddit Christianity today. Um, so in that, uh, in the vein of kind of what we talked about today uh, with the biblical manhood, I wanted to make that our recommended listening uh, because it's such a, a big and growing industry, it seems like. So I think we might have even mentioned this last week. There's not many people talking better about biblical masculinity than Vodi Bakum. And he was on a while ago with uh, Ben Shapiro discussing what does it mean to be a man. And I think that's definitely worth a listen. Ben Shapiro is a good interviewer. And Vodi Bakum, still super important to listen to. Still a wise, godly man. So go give that a listen. And then next week, I will probably be doing the show myself if I can find a way to get the podcast done while I'm on the road at the Shepherds Conference. Uh, I have a plan. I want to discuss Stephen A. Smith and Charles Barkley. And I thought, you know, Nikki probably doesn't know who Stephen A. Smith or Charles Barkley is, or either one of them. So I'll spare her that discussion if I can get to it. If not, I'm going to make her talk about it with me when I get back. <laughs> so that's going to be my goal. I want to talk about Stephen A. Smith and Charles Barkley. Um, and then, of course, I'll be continuing on with the short daily devotionals on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. So come give those a listen. We'll see you guys tomorrow with our daily devo- or our family devotional. I'm sorry, on Genesis 9, mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 9. And then next week, the shorts will be on Genesis 10. Great. I enjoy those a lot. Mm-hmm. So come find us there. Like the show. Leave us a comment. I'll do my best to respond to everybody. But hope you guys have a blessed week. See you next time.